Our scripture lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, page 1,343, page 1,343 in the Pew Bible, Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses. Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, In Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then my text for this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, but I'll read verses 3 through 6. Philippians chapter 1, page 1348. Paul and Timothy, excuse me, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, today we remember in a special way the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a fact of history, a well-attested fact of history by all the means of historical verification. Over 500 witnesses saw the man who died on the cross alive again. They, many of them, were incredulous. They couldn't believe it until they saw it, but see it they did, and they came to believe, and nothing would shake their faith. They were mocked. They were beaten, they were tortured, they were stoned, they were imprisoned, they were impoverished, they were martyred, and they held to their story. Their witness to you has the character of a sworn affidavit, a blood-sealed affidavit, attesting to you and to me that Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection of Christ was a world-changing event. It was pivotal proof 
that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that all that he claimed to be and do are indeed true and approved by God. God raised him from the dead to show us that indeed Christ is the Savior of the world. Now, most of you, I think, who attend church regularly uh, know the benefits of Christ's death for you. Uh, but today, I don't want to speak about the benefits of his death. I want to speak about the present benefits of the resurrection. The present benefits of his death are that your sins are paid for. Your sins are forgiven through faith in him. And we rejoice with joy inexpressible, knowing that we have received the salvation of our souls uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, the present benefit of his death. But what about the present benefit of the resurrection? We know that the resurrection is future for us, but does it do anything for us now? That's what I want to focus our attention on today, the present benefit of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And to focus our attention on that, I focus your attention on the words of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Complete it when? Well, when Christ comes again. And I ask this question, what is that good work which Christ has begun in you, in you who believe, you who are members of his church? What is that good work that is begun now, which will be completed when Christ returns? Well, I put this before you as a proposition, which I hope to demonstrate from Scripture is true. I put before you that this good work that he has begun in you, is the work of resurrection. The good work begun in you is the work of resurrection. Now, I think that many people who know the Scriptures, when they look at Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 1.6 and read about that good work, they think, well, the good work that God has begun in me is the work of sanctification. And I would agree wholeheartedly. But what I want you to see today is that the work of sanctification is the work of resurrection unto new life. Uh, We see that, for example, in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, where he says, uh, I want you to know something. Uh, He wants the church to be aware of something and to experience something. And what does he want us to know? He says, I want you to know the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He wants us to know power. He wants us to experience power. And he goes on to describe that power. It is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. He says the same power that raised Christ from the dead, which is resurrection power. He says, I want you to know that power, that immeasurable power, power that can't be measured. It's so great. He says, I want you to know this power, the power that raised Christ from the dead. I want you to know. I want you to experience. I want you to experience resurrection power. He says something similar in Philippians 3, verse 10, where Paul says that he forsook, he gave up 
all attempts at self-righteousness. He had been attempting to justify himself in the sight of God by saying, God, look at all my good works. You know, look at all the righteous things that I have done. He says, I have forsaken that attempt at self-righteousness so that I might gain something. And he mentions two things, not just a righteousness which is not my own. He wants not his own righteousness. He wants another righteousness. He wants the righteousness of Christ. He says, not only so that I may gain a righteousness not my own, but, quote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want his righteousness and I want the power of his resurrection. He's praying in Ephesians, I want you to know the power of resurrection, resurrection power in your life, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that immeasurable power, I want you to know. And now he says, I want it too. In Philippians uh, 3.10, he says, I want it too. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul also teaches in his letter to the Romans that union with Christ is union not only with his death, but union with his resurrection. Romans 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, by him. Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. He says we're united with him in his death and in his resurrection, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too. We too can be raised from the dead. We too can walk in newness of life. When Christ was raised from the dead, he walked in newness of life. And now we're united to him so that we might be resurrected and walk in newness of life. Union with Christ, which is what baptism is all about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is uh, participation in his death and in his resurrection that we might have new life. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, you are raised with him, raised by him in whose you believe, who, uh, you, by the powerful working of God, the powerful working that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's raising you from the dead as well. And then in his uh, uh, Colossians 3.1, he says, If you have been raised with Christ, <laughs> seek those things that are above where Christ is. And, of course, he's saying, you have been raised. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been raised. What's another word for raised? It's resurrected. Christ was raised. Christ was resurrected. You have been resurrected. You have been raised. Raised up with Christ. To see this uh, in, in a little more detail, let's look at that passage from Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 2 that I read to you. And I want you to take note of the fact that it, it talks about walking. Uh, it talks about walking twice. In uh, verse 2, it says, uh, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Walked is there past tense. But then in verse 10, he says that, uh, now you are God's workmanship uh, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Uh, you used to walk a certain way, and now you walk in a new way. And of course, the word walk there is a metaphor for living out our lives. We are uh, walking through life, and uh, it 
describes our lifestyle. Our lifestyle used to be characterized by giving in to the lusts of the flesh. That was our walk. But now we have a new walk. And the new walk is walking in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. Now, the question is this. How did we make a transition from the one walk to the other? How did we transition from the way we used to walk in the lusts of the flesh to this new way of walking in the good works that God has prepared for us? Well, the transition is found in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together with him to sit in heavenly realms. God made us alive. And then he says, and God raised us up. In other words, the transition between the old walk and the new walk is resurrection. It's being raised up. It's being made alive. And there's only one word for this revivification of uh, dead bodies, this restoration from death to life. And the the word for revivication, for restoration to life, the word is resurrection. God is working resurrection in our lives to transition us from the old way to the new way. Sometimes when we uh, speak of uh, this uh, being raised with Christ, we uh, speak of it as, uh, or we think of it as something that's uh, true in principle, but not really something that we're meant to experience. You know, there's there's lots of things that we say, yeah, it's true in principle, but in reality, uh, we, we don't see it. We don't experience it. Like uh, in theory, in principle, the press is supposed to be uh, neutral. But in uh, our experience, uh, the press is anything but neutral, you know. And uh, so in theory, uh, in principle, we're supposed to be raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly realms. But in reality, we, we don't experience anything like that. But that's not that's not what the scripture teaches in in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter four verse sixteen. He says, uh, "Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Every day there is renewal. Every day there is this coming to life. Every day we are experiencing the the power of the resurrection. When Paul talks about inwardly, he's referring to our hearts, where Christ dwells by faith. He's referring to the renewed, reborn heart out of which comes love for Christ and love for those for whom Christ died. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 19, 14 through 19, he prays that the inner nature may be strengthened by the indwelling of Christ through the Spirit, so that we may comprehend the vast dimensions of Christ's love, the height and depth and length and width of his love, and become rooted and grounded in that love. Well, that's a that's a renewal of your heart that you're meant to experience now. And it comes about because the good work that Christ has begun in you is the work of bringing you to life with Christ, raising you up with Christ, giving you resurrection power in your life now. Inwardly, you are being renewed day by day. Confirmation that this good work that he has begun in us is the work of uh, resurrection is uh, the fact that it will be completed. 
when Christ comes again. When Christ comes again, he'll complete the work of resurrection. Now it's inwards. But then, when he comes, it will be outward as well, and the body too shall be saved. Inwardly, we are being renewed now. Inwardly, we are being resurrected. Outwardly, we're wasting away. But when Christ comes, outwardly, we will be resurrected as well. And we will be completely made whole and well and made like the glorious resurrected uh, Jesus Christ. This is the good work that God has begun in you. And it's important that you believe this. You know, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says, uh, You must uh, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Consider yourselves. The old word is reckon yourselves. Believe yourself to be. We, 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 uh, we don't always feel resurrected. And so we, we sometimes doubt whether there's any real change been made in us. And so he says, you've got to believe on it so that you will act on it. Because it is true, you have been raised with Christ. Therefore, believe it, reckon it, consider it to be true. What shall we say then, he goes on to say, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who who die to sin still live in it? We have been raised to newness of life. Believers have been delivered from slavery to sin and and, uh, in their inner being. We are no longer dead in sin, rather we are dead to sin as a controlling power in our lives. Again, he writes in Romans 8, verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he's not saying that that's in doubt. If you're a believer, it's it's not in doubt. It is true. The Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead does dwell in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The fact that you have this inner working now is proof that he will one day also raise up your body. The power uh, that is at work in us is resurrection power. The good work that Christ has begun in us is the work of resurrection, a present benefit. Now, why have I taken the time to explain this to you? Well, I explained it to you because... Uh, it's, it's important for us to understand, to avoid uh, some uh, common errors that, that happen in the Christian life, particularly with regard to this sanctification. The work of sanctification is the work of resurrection. It's a work that God is doing in us. And that's important for you to understand because so oftentimes we have the impression that sanctification uh, is simply only our grateful response to the work uh, that Jesus has done for us at the cross. Uh, Christ saves us, and now we are sanctified when we show ourselves thankful by doing good works. You know, uh, I'm not opposed to uh, the three divisions of the uh, Heidelberg Catechism being referred to as sin, salvation, and service. Uh, But uh, the third part, service... Uh, is about our life of sanctification, and our life of sanctification is more than just service. It is service, to be sure, and so it's not wrong to say that, but we need to understand it's more. The life of sanctification is more than just our service offered to God in gratitude. It is also, and especially, and first of all, it is God's work in us. 
And because it's God's work in us, it's vital that, that we work along with God and that we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. There's a tendency, I think, among many Christians to think, you know, well, uh, I, uh, I'm really not all that much of a, a dynamic Christian, but uh, I, uh, I keep to myself, uh, I keep myself to myself, as the British would say, <laughs> uh, and uh, just kind of live in a little shell saying, you know, Christ died for my sins and that's all I need. I, uh, I'm not real good at, at doing things and serving people and loving people. But as long as I believe that Christ died for my sins, I know I'll go to heaven. Uh, my reward may not be as great as everybody else's reward. But, uh, you know, they say uh, in heaven, everybody's cup will be full. But not everybody's cup will be the same size. And so some people say, well, okay, I accept the fact that my cup will be full, but it will be smaller than somebody else's cup because I didn't I didn't uh, engage uh, the Christian life as I should have. Uh, Well, the Apostle Paul recognizes that tendency and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. God has begun a good work in you. And you can't ignore that. You can't leave that aside and say, oh, that's not important because that's just my part. My part doesn't count for anything anyway, so I don't have to worry about it. No, it's His work in you. And because it's His work in you, you must devote yourself to it with fear and trembling. You must be eager to work along with the work of God in you. We must uh, recognize that... uh, yeah, gratitude is an important motive for the Christian life, but that's not the only motive for the Christian life. Uh, Lord willing, uh, in next week we'll look at uh, the uh, beginning of the third section of the Catechism, Why Must We Yet Do Good Works? And the answer is not just to show gratitude, but you must do good works because Christ is at work in you, renewing you. Because Christ, by His Spirit, is renewing us. That's why we must do good works. You know, as children of the Reformation, we tend to be uneasy when speaking about good works. We, uh, we recognize that uh, uh, advocating uh, good works is sometimes uh, misconstrued as, as legalism. Uh, even in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, good works are, uh, works are opposed to grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. And works are the, the enemy of grace because people trust in their works. And so we, we, we don't talk a lot about works. But we need to recognize that after saying we're saved by grace and not by works, the, the next verse goes on to say, but we're saved for good works. So good works should play a very important role in our lives. We must be careful, of course, not to become proud or arrogant about our works, considering ourselves better than others, since uh, all that we have, we have as a a gift of his grace. Uh, But nevertheless, we must uh, never view good works as an an unnecessary or optional part of our salvation, Uh, whether it's uh, life in the church, joining and uh, uniting with the church, or engaging in acts of service to uh, our fellow man. These are never optional. They're never something that we can say, okay, well, uh, the the main thing is Christ died for my sins, and that's all, and the rest uh, I'll just uh, slide by. No, you can't let it slide, because Christ, by his Spirit, is working in you. 
all who believe in Jesus share in the resurrection of Christ. You know, there's some beautiful words in Revelation 20 about uh, blessed are those who share in the first resurrection. And a lot of people scratch their heads and say, now, who are those people who share in the first resurrection? Well, the first resurrection is the first resurrection, the one we're remembering today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every believer now shares in that resurrection and you are blessed to share in that but resurrection of Jesus Christ because his resurrection spirit is living in you and it's given you power, power to live a new life. And therefore, you, it is incumbent upon you that you go forth and use that power for his glory. You who do not believe... In Jesus Christ, you who are keeping Jesus at arm's length and keeping his people at arm's length, uh, you have, can have no confidence that this power is in you. It is uh, far more likely that you are still enslaved to the power of the, the lusts of the flesh. You know, when I talk to people who, who uh, are not active in, in expressing faith in Jesus Christ, people who uh, are trying to keep the church at arm's length or who have very openly not committed their lives to Christ, they usually have one uh, or two objections uh, to Christianity. Either they, uh, they are holding back and keeping away because they dislike Christians You know, the church is full of hypocrites. How many times have we heard that? The church is full of hypocrites, even though in order to join this church, you have to confess to be a sinner. Nevertheless, we're called hypocrites because we're supposed to be holy and we're not. Well, newsflash, we're not holy. (laughs) We're self-confessed sinners. That's that's what you have to confess to join the church, that you're a sinner and you you can't save yourself. uh, but, but people look at Christians and say, I can't be a, associated with those, those deplorable people. That's one objection that people have for stay, standing aloof from, uh, from Christ's church. And if you stand aloof from Christ's church, you're standing aloof from Christ because Christ is building his church. This is where, this is where Christ is. And you, you stay away from the church, you're staying away from Christ. The other objection that people have is, well, I don't like what the, what the Christian faith teaches. You know, there's, there's things there that, that I find objectionable. Uh, a lot of people especially find objectionable the idea that in order to be saved, you have to accept charity. You know, you can't do it yourself. There's people who say, if I ever have to stand before God, I will gladly stand on my record. I think that I can I can hold my own in the presence of God. And if I ever do have to stand before God and be judged, I'm going to ask him a thing or two, too, about why did he do this and why did he do that? Why was there so much suffering in the world? And, and why did my family have to suffer and I have to suffer? You know, I think he has some things to answer for. And people are are, are not willing to do what the Bible says, namely humble yourself, confess your sin. And plead for mercy. They, they find that very objectionable. Well, you know, you won't find anybody who better personifies these two objections than a man named Saul of Tarsus. He thought Christians were deplorable. They were uh, uh, people who were uh, engaged in, in denouncing the, the Jewish religion. And uh, he didn't like what they stood for. He didn't like what they taught. He thought... Uh, uh, 
He could stand on his own record. He was proud to be a, a Pharisee and uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day in respect to the law. He felt I had kept it all. He, he was uh, he was a good man, and uh, he despised Christians and was going around arresting them and was complicit in putting some of them to death. But it all changed when he was confronted with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and revealed himself as alive. He who had died on the cross was now alive again, gloriously alive, never to die again. Paul realized that he couldn't go on despising Christians or despising Christian doctrine because Jesus is alive. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I'll believe in Jesus if he shows himself to me. Well, he's not going to do that because he's given you something just as good. He's given you the affidavits of the eyewitnesses, the blood-sealed affidavit of the eyewitnesses. Do you think the people of the first century were any less or any more, uh, any less incredulous than you? You know, Thomas the Apostle spent three years with Jesus and uh, heard Jesus say, I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be raised on the third day. And, and they came to, to Thomas on, on the third day or uh, on the fourth day when he, because he wasn't there on the third day when Jesus appeared to the uh, ten of the disciples. He, he said, uh, they said to him, he's raised. And he says, I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see it. Well, he saw it. And he touched the resurrected Jesus Christ's physical body. He touched his body and he became a believer. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you see and believe. Blessed more are those who will believe without seeing. That's you and me. We have, instead of seeing, we have the testimony of those who were the eyewitnesses, who saw with their eyes and heard with their ears and touched with their hands and proclaim to you that Jesus died according to the Scriptures and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and was seen by over 500 witnesses who testify to you that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, all your objections have to melt away. And you need to become like Paul, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We thank you that uh, uh, he died for our sins and was raised to newness of life. And we thank you that when we put our faith in him, the same spirit that raised him from the dead now begins to work in us a good work, a good work which you have begun, a good work that you will bring to completion in the resurrection from the dead. And we pray now that we may, with fear and trembling, work out our salvation, knowing that you are at work in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.